if you had three wishes and you could wish for anything and it would change your life, what would you choose? You know, this idea about a magic lamp, a genie, giving a boy three wishes is an old, old story. In fact, it was first told in 1709. Paul Lucas was a Frenchman who had traveled to Syria, and he said it was an old Syrian storyteller who first shared this story with him. And we know that he came back to France and wrote it down, 1709. It's the first time we have a record of the story Aladdin. Now, for the last 300 years, this has been a story that's told, and we know that it's always a story about a boy and a genie and three wishes. Some of the characters change and the plot may twist, but it's always been fundamentally the same. But it was in 1988, Howard Ashman was working for Disney, and he got the idea of trying to make Aladdin into a, um, an animated musical. And so he wrote together the script, he came up with the idea, and he took it to Jeffrey um, Katzenberg to try to sell him on the idea. And Jeffrey said, well, we'll think about it. Now you need to understand that Howard was really such a very amazing man. Growing up, when he was in junior high, he starred in the play of Aladdin. He was Aladdin. It became one of those shows that he had always loved and so he wanted to bring it to life. When he graduated college, Howard went off to become a, uh, to work in the Peace Corps. He blessed life. He cared for people. And when he came back home, he got serious about writing stories and creating musicals. He decided that he was going to uh, start working with a man named Alan Minkin. They got together and decided they would create some stories. And one of their first ones was called Little Shop of Horrors. As you know, it was an off-Broadway show. It was a big hit. It ultimately would get turned into a movie, and they were feeling great about what they were able to do. And so then Howard wrote another one called Smile, and it made it to Broadway. And it was a terrible flop. I mean, it did not go well, and it was panned, and Things were not feeling good at all, and so the two of them decided they had an opportunity to go to Hollywood. A friend, knowing them, contacted Jeffrey Katzenberg and said, here's some people that we think would be great for Disney. And so they went out to Hollywood, and there they started to meet with Disney. And they said, we got a project that we could use some real help on, and the name of it is The Little Mermaid. And so it was that Howard and Alan began to write all the music for The Little Mermaid. Under the Sea, Kiss the Girl. Songs that would ultimately win Academy Awards and Tonys. They were a huge, huge success. And it's when he was coming towards the end of A Little Mermaid that he was submitting this idea of Aladdin. But Disney said, you know, we got some other things that are going right now. We have another show that's, that's been a... Um, an animated feature film, but we think it needs to be a musical. We're struggling with it right now. And it was called Beauty and the Beast. And so they were given to that project to start trying to make it a musical and writing the songs. 
But it was at that time that Howard discovered that he was dying of AIDS. He wasn't 40 years old. He decided he wanted to continue to work. And during those last days, he wrote some of his greatest music. It was so full of passion and heart. Beauty and the Beast and Be Our Guest. and It was a huge hit. He got through with Beauty and the Beast. It had not come out yet. He turned back to working on Aladdin along with, uh, with Alan. But way before it ever could become a movie, Howard passed away. It was about seven or eight months after he had died that Beauty and the Beast came out. If you ever go watch Beauty and the Beast and you come to the end, sit and watch all the way through the credits. I mean, you and I always get up and walk out before the credits. Follow it all the way to the end. In the end, it'll come up and say, in memory of our friend, Howard Ashman. He gave a a, a mermaid a voice and a beast a soul. And they could have added, and a young boy, hope for the future. You see, that really is what Howard did on all the shows that he worked on. There was a certain common theme that for all these incredible characters, it always seemed to come back and deal with trying to love yourself, loving others, believing in yourself and trying, believing in a future with hope. Howard was an amazing man. And when he died, it brought great grief to all who were working on Aladdin. Immediately, Disney had to look around and find someone to bring in in order to help finish the, uh, the story, to work with Alan, to finish all the music. And they turned to Tim Rice. We talked about Tim Rice last year. You may remember him. He had been working on a Disney project, did pretty well. It was called The Lion King. He had written one number of those wonderful numbers with Elton John, and so they brought him in to work with Alan, and they were the ones who would write the song, A Whole New World, maybe the biggest hit that Disney has ever had. They worked hard, and they finished the show. It opened in November of 1992. The movie came out, and Aladdin was a box office smash. In the end, it would gross more than $500 million around the world. Huge success. And I love their tagline. It said, one lamp, three wishes, infinite possibilities. There were possibilities. But it's fascinating. It took 18 years before Thomas Schumacher, who was president of Disney Theatrical Productions to make the decision to try to bring Aladdin from the movie to the stage. It was in 2010 when they finally decided they wanted to try to do that. It would take four more years, 22 years after the movie came out. Aladdin finally opened in March of 2014 on Broadway. And it was a huge success. It is still running at the New Amsterdam Theater right now. It ran 14, 15, 16. Shows are being booked into 17. It's been a huge success. And you know, it's worth stopping to ask, why? 
I mean, the story of a boy and a magic lamp and a genie and three wishes that was first told 300 years ago. Why does it continue to be so popular? And I think the answer is, like Aladdin, we all have things we want different in our lives. There are things we all would change about our lives. And the idea of having the power, three wishes, to be able to change those things in our lives, that's just so appealing. It grabs you. Now, you know the story, the story of a boy, Aladdin, who's known as a street rat, someone who lives on the streets. As you kind of heard in one of the songs earlier, he's been kind of a gold brick, hadn't always been applying himself. He steals bread and fruit, things to eat, to get by. He wants his world to be different. And what he does is he looks at the palace, and he looks at the palace and thinks, man, the people there are rich. They got servants and so much food. That's what would make me happy if I was in the palace. But then you and I know there's Jasmine, the princess, who lives in the palace. And she has the servants and all the food. And she wants to be free and out of the palace. The two people who are going to come together, each one of them is wanting something different. And they're wanting out of the world in which they are in. And what you come to discover is it really isn't all those circumstances. They need to change their perspective on their life. And when they change their perspective, they discover a whole new world. That's what the song was about. And I go back and read you you, these first few lines of the song. I can show you the world, shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, now when did you last let your heart decide? I can open your eyes, take you wonder by wonder, over, sideways, and under on a magic carpet ride. A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. Aladdin is about to take Jasmine on a magic carpet ride to give her a whole new perspective, to discover a whole new world. I think that's what we all want. We all have things in our lives we want to change. To have the power to do that. It made me think about our scripture lesson this morning. Because that's exactly what is going to happen to Saul. To gain a new perspective. You remember Saul was someone who was a Roman citizen. And he was a good Jew. And he was a soldier. Well now... That was an interesting combination in Paul's day. Not many people were like that. You didn't have a lot of free Roman citizens who were also good Jews. He was a Pharisee, which means he was basically a lawyer in his faith. He really wanted to follow the law of Moses down to the letter. That's what a good Pharisee would do. So always understand, Saul was a very religious man. And when you had people come along who were a part of the way, that's what the early church was called, the way. When you had the early Christians come along and they started talking about Jesus as being the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, good Jews found that incredibly offensive. 
And that's what got to Saul. How could they be saying these things? And so it was that Saul went to the high priest, got letters, kind of like a search warrant, and went hunting for Christians in order to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. He had some soldiers with him as he went down the road to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, suddenly he is struck by this bright light, knocked off his horse into the dirt, and he hears a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. Now those who were with him heard the voice, but they saw nothing. And when they went to pick Saul up, he was blind. He no longer could see. Understand, when Luke is writing this story down, he wants to tell you what happened, but he's also trying to make sure you catch the imagery here. Saul is blind to the truth. He cannot see life. So he is led to Damascus. And for three days he cannot see, he does not eat, he does not drink. And the Lord shows up to a man named Ananias. He is a part of the way. And God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to this man Saul and I want you to lay your hands on him and to heal his blindness. And Ananias goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think you know this guy. I mean, this guy wants to put people like me in chains and take them to Jerusalem. And God said, oh, I do know him. I know his heart. And I know what he could do to bless life. Go. So Ananias goes. And he comes to Paul and he lays on his hands and he prays for them. And it says, and scales fell from his eyes. Again, the whole idea, Paul is now going to see but he has a different perspective. He sees in a new way. Paul is going to discover a whole new world. Rather than striving to put people into chains and causing havoc, Paul is going to give his life to sharing God's love and bringing hope to the world, going to Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul is going to have a new perspective. He is going to see life in a different way he will discover a whole new world. I think what you and I know is that you don't need a genie and three wishes. The truth is, it is God's grace that gives you the power now. Limitless opportunities. The power to have a different perspective for a whole new world. That's what I want us to think about. Just two thoughts this morning. First of all, remember it is the grace of Christ that gives you the strength to continue to try. There is no question life is hard and does not always go the way we want. And there are pain and there is pain and setbacks and failures. Who wouldn't give anything to have the power of a wish to change things? Life can be hard. But God's grace is what gives you the strength to continue to try and not quit. When Saul becomes the Apostle Paul, he gets a whole new vision, all right, and he goes out around the world to share God's love, and he has great success. 
all the churches he starts in Philippi and Thessalonica and Galatia. But he also has great struggles. Some places he's run out of town. They threaten to kill him. They stone him. He winds up in prison. And in prison, now towards the end of his life, he writes to Timothy, a young man he calls his son in the faith. And he wants to encourage him and says, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I kept the faith. It's by keeping the faith that I was able to fight the good fight and finish the race. I did not quit. Life's hard. Don't quit. When Thomas Schumacher wanted to take Aladdin from the movie to the theater, people told him right up front, that's impossible. You can't do it. I mean, two reasons. One, a genie. How do you present the genie on stage? If you've seen the show, you know that the genie's voice is Robin Williams. And oh my goodness, what a job he does. He is so funny and always coming up with new characters. And you got this genie that comes out of this bottle and then can shape shift and changes things all the time. And he is hysterical. Well, how do you recreate that on stage? They said, the genie. That's the first reason you can't do it. It's impossible. Secondly, you can't have Aladdin without a flying carpet. How do you have a flying carpet on stage? Isn't going to happen. So Thomas Schumacher, Schumacher got together um, with Casey Nicolau, who was the director, and they began to try to tackle these problems. They hired this wonderful cast. They began working together. And finally they thought, okay, we got it. We don't have all the fancy things come up with yet on how to make it work, but we got the script and the lines. They decided to go out to Seattle and kind of try it out. I mean, the flying magic carpet, at this point, it was a mattress on the stage. That's all it was. But they ran their lines, they did it, and it didn't sound as good as they thought it was going to sound. So they came back home, and they were working on all this technical, incredible stuff, And they finally got it all done and improved the lines and went to Toronto for an out-of-town tryout. Broadway shows do this all the time. And it gives you a chance over a couple months to be making some changes, small tweaks. Well, they went to Toronto. And there they had to bring in all these fancy things. They had what they call the toaster. And what it is, it's something you climbed into with a tube. And then they shot it off and you pop up. You move at 12 feet per second. And actors and actresses suddenly are on stage. I mean, they now had a flying carpet. Incredible technology. They keep a secret to this day. No, they had it. Boy, they were set and they started having the show. And it didn't go well. It didn't take long for people to realize we're not hooking them. It's not telling a story. It's not going well. Thomas Schumacher called in a friend of his, a great director from Broadway, and had come watch the show. He watched the show, and when it was over, they went out into the lobby, and he said, well, I think you got a success here, but the first 30 minutes of your show stinks. Okay. And so it was that Thomas and Casey went away and decided to start reworking everything. They changed characters. They changed the way the songs were going to happen. They changed all kinds of things. Actors are being told, here's 30 new lines. Forget the old lines. 
Here's a new character. Here's everything. And people were working 12 and 14 hours a day, seven days a week. They were down to weeks before they were supposed to go to Broadway. And finally, on March the 20th, 2014, the curtain went up on Aladdin. And it was a huge success. And I saw an interview with Thomas Schumacher. And as they were talking to him, he said, you know, before we opened four years ago, all we were told is this is impossible because of the genie and the flying carpet. And now whenever you talk to somebody who comes out of the show, there are two things they talk about. The genie and the flying carpet. And he said, I just got to tell you, I am so proud of all the people who have worked on this project because they never quit. When you don't quit, you discover a whole new world. You and I know that it is the grace of Christ that gives us strength to continue to try. And if you will continue to try and not quit on life, you'll have a new perspective. You'll discover a whole new world. And secondly, remember that God wants you to be you because you're the only you the world has. How important. So often you and I feel unworthy, not good enough. We want to be like somebody else or something else. God wants you to be you because you're the only you this world will ever have. For Paul, you know, things didn't start too well. He stood by and held the jackets of those who stoned Stephen a wonderful young man, the first Christian to be martyred. And it was so hard to think back about what had happened. He stood there consenting to Stephen's death. And then he had been out persecuting Christians, dragging them in chains back to Jerusalem. No, there had been a lot of struggles for, for Paul. And finally, he wanted to go meet the people in Jerusalem who were head of the church, and they didn't want to meet him. They were kind of like Ananias. Our calendars are booked. If it hadn't been for Barnabas, they probably wouldn't have ever met. Barnabas got to know Paul's heart. He knew the leaders in Jerusalem. And so he went to Jerusalem and said, you need to meet this man. And so they did. And finally, the leaders laid hands on Paul and on Barnabas and sent them out on a mission to the Gentiles. Now, as the years would go by, Paul and the leaders of the early church would still cross swords and disagree. And always knowing his past and his failures and mistakes. But, you know, Paul didn't quit because he knew he was loved by God. In spite of all he had done, failures and mistakes, he was loved. Paul would write to the Romans and say, I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God as in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you know that you are loved, 
It gives you strength. Strength to continue to try. It gives you a new perspective to discover a whole new world. So often we feel unworthy, not good enough. In Aladdin, it really is the story of a young man who didn't feel worthy, not worthy of the love of a princess. He's not good enough. He knows that. But he has a genie and a magic carpet who keep trying to tell him, be yourself. Be yourself. Tell her the truth. Because you are good enough. You are worthy of love. How often that's the very thing you and I question about ourselves. You need to understand, it's the reason you and I come to worship each week. We come to worship so we can get in touch again with that love that Christ has for us. Because as you and I come, what we discover is, God says you are worthy to be called His child. Regardless of what you've done or the failures you've had or mistakes you've made, God is happy, proud to call you His child. When they decided to take the show to Broadway, one of the things they really did struggle with was the genie. They knew they had to do something different. You can't have Robin Williams in a, in a cartoon. So what were they going to wind up doing? They, they went out and they, they got a wonderful actor, James Monroe Igliahart. James Monroe is African-American, big man, great voice, beautiful smile. And he tells about how when he was a boy growing up, his mother took him to see Aladdin when he was 17 years old. And he so loved the show that he went out and bought a cassette. Some of you will remember those. He bought a cassette of all the music and he played it and played it till it broke and had to go out and buy another one and keep on playing it. He loved the music to Aladdin. And he said, if you'd have told me at 17 years old, one day I would have the part of the genie on Broadway, I'd have said, that's impossible. But he was given the part. But after he had the part, he confided in several of his fellow actors and said, I'm not good enough for this part. I mean, when I come out on stage, after people have gotten used to Robin Williams and the genie, they're not going to like me. They will reject this part. He held Robin Williams in such high esteem and his ability. I'm not good enough. They're not going to like me. But Casey, the director, had all kinds of ideas. And one day he called James and he said, James, do you tap dance? No, no, I don't. There was some silence. And then he said, are you sure you don't tap? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I don't know how to tap. And then he paused for a moment and said, but I could learn. Great, go learn and call me. <laughs> and hung up the phone. So James Monroe went out to learn how to tap dance. And, and, and Casey is coming up with all kinds of new ideas. And when the show opens now early on, there is this number where the genie appears and begins to sing, 
Yeah, he never had a friend like me. And it used to be a two and a half minute number there in the movie. Now it's seven minutes and it's full of athleticism and he is singing and moving all over the stage. And for seven minutes he's singing, he ain't having a friend like me. And when he came to the end on that opening night, the crowd came to their feet for a standing ovation in the middle of the show. That never happens. He owned it. And it turned out that year that Aladdin received five Tony nominations and it won one for favored actor, James Monroe Englehart, for playing the part of the genie. Oh, he owned it. Good enough. Didn't think you'd be good enough. They won't like me. That's what you and I want, to feel like we are good enough, that we are owned, that we are proud, somebody loves us. It is the theme of Aladdin. For Aladdin, the young man, he doesn't think he's good enough, good enough to be loved, not worthy. I told you about Howard Ashman and how he went back to work on Aladdin, and we believe that Maybe Howard's last song that he ever wrote was the song, Proud of Your Boy. It's a song he wrote for Aladdin to sing to his mother. You heard it, but let me read some of those words to you again. Proud of your boy. I'll make you proud of your boy, believe me. Bad as I've been, Ma, you're in for a pleasant surprise. I've wasted time, I've wasted me. So say I'm slow for my age, a late bloomer. Okay, I agree. Tell me I've been a louse and a loafer. You won't get a fight here, no ma'am. Say I'm a gold brick, a goof off, no good. But that couldn't be all that I am. Water flows under the bridge. Let it pass, let it go. There's no good reason you should believe me, not yet, I know. But someday and soon... I'll make you proud of your boy. Though I can't make myself taller or smarter or handsome or wise, I'll do my best. What else can I do? Since I wasn't born perfect like dad or you, mom, I will try to, try hard to, make you proud of your boy. That song didn't make it into the movie. When they were writing the story, they cut the part of mother and they had to drop the song. But when they took Aladdin to New York and Broadway, Alan Menken was asked to come and help write some more songs to really flesh out the characters. And they brought back the song from Howard. Proud of your boy. And the song is sung by Aladdin. And when Aladdin sings this song, there isn't a dry eye in the theater. Grown men have tears running down their cheeks. Why? Because everyone wants their mother to be proud. Wants their father to be proud. And maybe you don't get that. Maybe you haven't gotten that from your mom or your dad. 
from your spouse, from a friend. It's why you and I come to church. So that we can be reminded that God is proud to call you His child. In spite of your failures and mistakes, you are good enough to be loved by God. And when you feel loved by God, it's going to change your perspective. You're going to find the strength so you don't quit. You know, the truth is, you don't need a genie and three wishes for the power to change your life. You have the power to change your life in the grace of Jesus Christ. For it is through that grace you gain a new perspective and the power to discover a whole new world. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.